With the second round of the playoffs starting, the NHL is proving once again it is a superstar-driven league. Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin are back at each other's throats, while relative playoff newcomers John Tavares and Jamie Benn try to take their teams on deep runs. The Maple Leafs have long struggled to find even a single one of these superstars, with players burning brightly at times but never establishing themselves at the top of the league. That might all change this June, when the Leafs finally have the opportunity to draft first overall after winning the lottery last night. While with it comes an unbelievable amount of pressure, Austin Matthews will soon find out if he can climb to the top and bring the Maple Leafs back to the playoff picture once again. Columbus moves up two positions, five to three, will select third. That leaves Winnipeg and Toronto. The Leafs enter tonight with a 20% chance to win the lottery. The Jets held 7.5% chance to win the lottery. Jets General Manager Kevin Sheveldayoff, Maple Leaf President Brendan Shanahan, and Austin Matthews in Finland look to Bill Daly to reveal who will win the first overall selection. Bill? The first overall selection in the 2016 NHL draft belongs to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Toronto has won the 2016 NHL Draft Lottery. Congratulations to Brendan Shanahan, General Manager Blue Bell. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Six Sports Podcast. Joining me today, Kyle Jackson, Andrew Canal. They stayed over last night after witnessing one of the greatest moments in Maple Leaf history. Woo! Or at least that's what we like to think right now. Of course, we're talking about the NHL Draft Lottery, where the Maple Leafs went in with only 20% and came out on top. I'm Gavin Lee. And this is Six Sports Podcast. What do you think, Kyle? It's, it's amazing. We actually, as a Toronto franchise, we actually won something. It's a miracle. Something to celebrate. It's crazy. It's the first celebration we've been able to have in quite a while, at least for the Leafs, right? Like, looking back, we have, like, a week ago, with like we've had quite a bit to cheer about with the Raptors, ups and downs, and then the Blue Jays last year with the bat flip, and... The Leafs won a lottery for being the worst team in the league. And it felt amazing. And it felt great. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of made all that hard work this year, losing. Hard work. It was hard for us. It was yeah. hard for Lou. He yeah. had to do a lot of work to make that the worst team in the league. <laughs> I mean, He's on island, man. I guess he could have just started Garrett Sparks from the start of the year. But um, Sparks, are you doing pretty well down in the Marlies, actually? Had a shutout in Game 2 and turned the game around in Game 3 to beat the Bridgeport Sound Tigers. Yeah, after Bebo got lit up. Maybe that just proves that he's more an AHL goalie than an NHL goalie. Yeah, it just proves that we don't have a legitimate goaltending prospect in our system. But so let's talk about the other prospect. Is, is Austin Matthews your pick now that you have the number one locked up? Are we going Austin Matthews? Uh, yes. <laughs> um. I know there's been some discussion with Laney maybe like pushing for the number one spot, but if you look at the Leafs, like there is some like center talent with our youngsters, whether it's Kadri or Marner or Nylander, but there's still a, you know, we don't know if they're actually going to be NHL centermen or if they're going to get moved to the wing at some point. And there's still, I think all of the one names I've just mentioned are under six feet. So with the prototypical, like we don't have that Taves 
Kopitar type build for our number one center, right? And Matthews has sort of the the pedigree to possibly fulfill that. Yeah, he um, if he can fulfill that, it's it's going to be quite a boon to the Maple Leafs in the future. But what about Patrick Line? You mentioned him. A few scouts recently have been quoted as saying that they would take him number one. Is he good enough, or is this just cold feet as we get closer to the date? He might be the most offensively gifted player in the draft. Matthews is more of a complete forward, but Liney, his offensive capabilities are just magical. Like seeing him in the playoffs this season over in the Finnish league, he's scoring goals, and the sh- the, his one timers are unbelievable. Picking corners like it's nothing. His shot like Ovi, right? That's what everyone's comparing it to, which is a huge praise. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's a little damning on him already to be comparing him with Ovi. Like if if people were saying, oh, well, he's like Matthews is like Lemieux, people would be freaking out, being like, that's one of the greatest players ever. How can you put that much pressure on a guy? Well, Ovi is one of the greatest players ever, and saying that Line is going to be anywhere close to him, if he is anywhere like Ovechkin, he should go number one in every draft, let alone his own but i think more or less his shots just like Ovi. he doesn't play any other the other aspects of the game as much he's not as physical as Ovi, right but his shot and release is already nhl caliber and it just i think it's the one time when he always ends up on one knee it looks like stammer and ovechkin right it's the same kind of shot motion and everything yeah um what about yes pull you yarvi it's hard to say. It's going to be tough for broadcasters to be spitting that out as he's digging pucks out of the corner. Um, is he going... He, he's clearly three at this point, falling behind Line A and Matthews? Yeah, like the conversation's been like up till, I guess, like a month or a couple months ago. It was Austin Matthews and then the two Finns. And it seems that the juniors and then in the Finnish uh, league playoffs that Line A sort of separated himself from Pugliarvi a little bit. And started to press Matthews, but it doesn't seem like anyone from four on has really challenged like that sort of top three assumption that we had, you know, six, eight months ago, right? Um, a lot of different mock drafts, like it gets really interesting after the top three, but I think we, we can safely say that the top three is going to go Matthews, Line A, Pugliarvi, especially with we know the Leafs drafting first, and then I think Line A's sort of separated himself from Pugliarvi. Um, and then from four on, it gets pretty interesting on sort of what a team needs because there is quite a bit of talent in this draft. Yeah, so fourth dropped to Edmonton with last night's results of Winnipeg and Columbus moving up. Um, is that the best thing that Edmonton wanted? Is, is Are they happy? We were talking about this a little bit last night. Are they happy with this outcome so that they can take Jacob Chikrin or Mikhail Sergachev and get a defenseman into that system? Yeah, it's what the organization needs. They've been almost... They've almost been forced into taking a forward every year, picking first overall, because you got to take the best player on the board. And there's been reports that even in the Yakupov draft that they kind of wanted to pick uh, Ryan Murray, but ownership was pushing them to push Yakupov because to pick Yakupov because he was obviously the most talented in the draft at the time. Everyone thought, but that now they actually have a chance to finally draft a defenseman to play with Nurse and Clefbaum because there's not much depth there. So out of those defensemen that, they, that they're they going to pick from, uh, I guess I didn't even mention all of you of from London. If you guys had to pick one of those defensemen fourth, if you were definitely going with a defenseman, who would you go with? I'd still go Chikorin. He looks like more of a complete player. I know Sir... Sergachev. Sergachev. Just one uh, defenseman of the year as a rookie in the O, but 
all year there's been reports that Chukrin's the best defenseman in the league, and maybe he just looks like he, took a, he wasn't as engaged this season or something because he's just bored in the O. So maybe I still think he's the best all-around player in the dra- in the defensive, best all-around defenseman in the draft. Yeah, he's uh, he, he looks NHL ready. The other two have questions. They're both going to be really solid defenders in the league, but they're, they, I don't know if they can just step in and take a lot of minutes like Chikrin probably could. Yeah, I don't think either of the other two are going to be ready to, to play next year. But Chikrin, I think, will give the opportunity to play, and he'll probably play alongside Nurse or one of their veteran guys back there. Yeah, I imagine Sergachev will go back um, for his last year in junior unless he pulls like an Olimata and they just can't can't cut him because how well he plays in camp. But yeah. um, for the Leafs, uh, we've talked a lot about Mitch Marner and where he belongs next year. There's a couple of reports that it's a possibility of him going over and playing in the Swiss League like Matthews for a year instead of the O or the N. Does Matthews, if if we are selecting Matthews at for, at number one, is he going to slot right into the top two lines next year? I think we'd be given the opportunity to, especially with the lack of depth, because Bozak is a third line centerman. He's proven that through his whole career. And there's nothing wrong with that. So I think they'll give Matthews a chance to play second line minutes, maybe like with William Nylander on his wing or something, which would be really fun for Leafs Nation to watch. It it'd bring people into the building, and give everyone would be watching that. I I would miss a game. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun to watch, just for the fact that they might be able to win a game just with offensive skill, those two players uh, on the ice at the same time. And just watching them develop before your eyes until you know what they're going to be. They're both going to be lethal players one day. It's just they might not be complete there yet, right? So with now, again, assuming that they don't do anything crazy like trading down and they do select Matthews first overall, they have... After lock, locking up Kadri for the next six years, they have four guys who are apparently centers locked up long-term with Nylander, Marner, Matthews, and Kadri. Is it is it clear that it's going to be Marner and Nylander that move to the wing? Or does Kadri have a chance to slide over there? Or is he going to be your, your lockdown number two? Well, I think from what just like... Marner's size and the way he's been projected and people compare him to Patrick Kane like he probably will become more suited as a winger in the NHL he probably will as big as he can probably get and as many sort of like NHL summers he can put in and from a from a weightlifting perspective I don't think he's ever going to be big enough to really compete down the middle in sort of what the modern NHL asks for Nylander it's a little more interesting because he's not quite as small he is still obviously small but um, it'll be interesting to see how he develops and if with working under Babcock with like sort of um, you know Kadri's developing defensive game that we saw last year, like it wouldn't be completely out of uh, out of uh, I don't know completely unreasonable to think that in the future it could be Austin Matthews as your one, Nylander's your two, and then Kadri's sort of your two way centerman on the third line. Yeah, especially the way the NHL is going with instead of having a straight checking and an energy line like rolling three lines yeah, you still have like three skilled lines it's just that you know in terms of like total offensive upside or like total game upside Kadri might be in terms of his overall career the least talented of the three which would be a really really good problem for the Leafs to have right so if, if Kadri as opposed to like Bozak as your third center that's a pretty good team yeah it's an upgrade for sure especially if, if you put him with guys that can finish like a like a Komarov that have finished but also are pretty uh, responsible defensively, it could be a pretty a pretty nice 
option to have, especially when the big guns aren't firing on our all cylinders like the young kids won't every game as they go through their growing pains. Do you think that next year uh, there's a bunch more one-year signings by the Leafs this summer to try to just fill out a lineup, give some guys more time in the A, and then trade them at the deadline like they did this year? I just don't know if there's going to be enough holes because Nylander's going to be given a chance. Andreas Johnson's looks like he's going to be given a chance to at least make the team out of camp. And there's, the list goes on and on. So they might be able to sign a couple of them, but they still have Mahalik under contract. They still have uh, Greening under contract. So there's going to be a lot of – maybe those are the one-year deals this year because they're already under contract for another year. So they won't have to bring in as many. Maybe one, maybe like one or two on PTOs because it never hurts, right? You can catch lightning in a bottle. Yeah, and there comes a point where like they ha- they are so rich in talent, you kind of want to figure out what you have in your prospect system. Like you can't just keep them as as entertaining as and as good it is for them to get sort of a winning culture down with the Marlies. Um, eventually, you need to find out what you have, right? So obviously, Marner can't go back and he can't be in the A, so he's probably going to need to take a shot. So just in terms of having the players, unless you're going to be scratching everyone every night or something like that, like I don't exactly off the top of my head how it'll work, but. Um, they're going to see ice time, and you're just not going to have the the amount of like rooms for like the Brad Boys and the Grabners and and the long list of sort of the revolving door that we had this year, right? Where, where there's how many like 40 different leaves, like yeah, it's, I, I don't see that happening next year. I think next year is more of a like more prototypical development year where we actually see the players grow, sort of more akin to like what Buffalo went through this year, except. I would argue, like I would say, that the Leafs will have more young talent than Buffalo, but a similar idea. Yeah, maybe not the uh, high-end talent that Buffalo has. They they have a few guys that are really really high, and then a bunch of guys that are kind of middling. The Leafs seem to have a little bit under the the Jack Eichels, the Sam Bennett's. I mean, not Sam Bennett. Uh, Sam Reinhardt. Yeah, Sam Reinhardt. But maybe more just under that that category i mean matthews maybe takes them in there, there's a bunch of reports it, it almost seems like people are trying to rewrite history now that the lottery is happening saying that matthews would have been in the conversation for number one last year when i don't know for a bunch of months now they've been saying that he clearly wouldn't be and that it's not a, a generational player I don't know if he would have been in the conversation for one extra mcdavid's on a whole nother level it's nothing against matthews but We've seen McDavid every night. There's, right. there's something to watch. I'm not. I don't know enough about Matthews. I haven't seen him play as much because he was in the Swiss League. But all signs point that he's not that caliber. He's just a little under that, which is still amazing for us. That's why. That's why we were celebrating like, like we won the cup last year, last night. Yeah, we made a video. If anyone's listening and wants to check it out on YouTube, <laughs> we, we were a little intoxicated and a little excited when they turned over that gold maple leaf. It's yeah, a pretty good feeling. It was a good moment. It was genuine. <laughs> Did you see the pictures of Shanahan as well holding the number one? Oh, it's, he it's, looks so happy. It all paid off. He did everything <laughs> right, and now Leafs love him forever. It's all because Charlie Little's article. Yeah, pleading to the hockey yeah, gods. He yeah, did. He prayed. Uh, and he was, and he cut it down. There were more things he could yeah. have, he could have mentioned. Yeah. Um, as you say, Drew, that next year will be a chance to really see what we have. I'd like to get your guys' takes on what do we have? What is this a team that we can let develop together and then make an, maybe make an addition a few years from now and make and compete or are they still 
a few years away of drafting and developing. Like, these aren't the guys. What do you think? It's hard to say just because we saw, like, last season was just so weird from, like, so many different perspectives. Like, it was like that many players is not a normal season. Like, I can't think of another team anywhere that had that sort of, like, a, of a season. Other than the Marlies, the other team. Yeah. 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 Um, so, like, they very well could, like, from a developmental perspective. Like, I know there's a lot of comparisons with, like, a very young core, and you don't want to go through what Edmonton went through, but they have – the Leafs aren't anything like Edmonton, and I don't want people starting to think that. Like, they're going to get Austin Matthews. They have a talented young core with some sort of – like, a young veteran core because Kadri is, at this point, sort of getting into veteran territory. JVR is – by all means, like compared to the others, a veteran, like you do have these young, talented veterans that can sort of grow your core with, whereas Edmonton didn't have that, right? They sort of started with Hall and it's just like, you're 19, you're the leader and the Leafs don't have that problem, thankfully. Right. And then on the back end, you have players like Riley and Gardner and they are still very young, but they've sort of been through the grinder a bit, right? Past little while. And, and I think people like, we don't underestimate this at all, but talking about the importance of Babcock and how important that is leading this group um, in terms of keeping everyone very like positive, keeping their work ethic there, um, creating a winning culture despite the lack of winning, right? Like the Leafs were losing so many games last season, and it would have been really easy for them to look like the Sabres did two years ago where they came out and you could see like, well, that team just doesn't care. They're just like, we're last place and that's okay. This team was working every night, and that's why they were one-goal games, and that's why watching them lose like, how many did they, like 40-some games in regulation? That's why it was okay to be like, well, they lost, but they looked good. It's just clear that, you know, when your top offensive threats are Michael Grabner and Brad Boyce, you're just like, well, you know, they're looking good and the system looks good and we have some youngsters, but clearly we can't score because our best players are an old Brad Boyce and Michael Stonehands Grabner. (laughs) But when they did insert the kids in the lineup, they were winning more games, which is why a lot of the fans were getting a little nervous because they're moving up the standings a bit, but... So that's, it, that's why they started sending them back down. <laughs> also, that and to reward some of the other guys. But if you add those kids in the lineup and Adam Matthews and whoever they do sign in for agency, I'm not going to say they're going to make a playoffs next, but I think they'll be in the 25 range. They're going to take a step forward because of Babcock system alone and just having actual players who can create offense by themselves and not rely on Kadri and Riley to essentially generate everything and just be there for tap-ins or like grabbing or missing breakaways every game. You could see, like, a sort of a, in terms of the standings, a similar movement to what we saw with Buffalo this year, right? They went from last to, I think, like, eighth or ninth last, right? And that's acceptable Which, for us. If we do that next year, that, that's a success. Yeah. Like, you're not really fighting for a playoff spot, but a playoff spot isn't sort of, you know, miles down the road. Like, you can sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel. So, like, it wouldn't be out of, the, out of, um, outrageous to expect Buffalo to make the playoffs next season or the season after that, depending on what they do this offseason, obviously, and how they d- grow and develop. But if the Leafs can sort of have that, you know, two, three-year playoff plan, which is what they were talking about when this when this whole sort of rebuild started, is I would say they're right on schedule for that as long as we see that continual progression. What I don't think we'll see and what we shouldn't see is the Leafs once again have the highest chance of the lottery is what we shouldn't see. Now, well, that wouldn't if, be acceptable. If they, if they win the lottery next year, that's entirely okay if they're doing it in, like, you know, the 5% range, right? Well, that would piss off everybody. Yeah, but it'd be amazing. <laughs> But that's, but that's where they should be finishing next year. Like We should see some, some growth and development there. Yeah, signs of a winning team and signs of a team that's not going to lose the one-goal game. Maybe they win the one-goal game 
exactly a little yeah. more often, right? Yeah. yeah, even if they just win like thirty percent of the one, of those one goal games, they're a it's lot better difference. team, right? Um, you you touched a little bit on how Babcock has made a winning culture without winning a lot, and that he is basically providing the leadership in the room and and. Um, he does make the most money, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's the biggest contract on the books. <laughs> I understand that we're not in the locker room to see who the leadership group is. And there's been a lot written about who they, who fans think the next caption, captain should be. Or, say, if they signed a big name out of Tampa Bay, whether he would immediately become the, can- the captain. But thinking back on the last few superstar talents at number one... They've quickly become captains of their team. Is Matthews, from the little that you've seen and the talent that has been talked about, a guy that could come in and in two, three years, when he turns 21, become the next captain of the Maple Leafs? He could. Like I, I obviously want to say that, but doing it in Toronto is different than doing it in Edmonton or doing it in Pittsburgh because this is the mecca of the hockey world, as he said in an interview today, doing that is, is look what, look what it did to Phaneuf. Phaneuf was not the same player he was in Calgary. It's a lot of pressure. Like it's day in and day out. You have a target on your back. You're the least captain. Like it's a big, it's big, but so isn't the captain in, in, at least in today's NHL, usually just the best player on the team. Like it doesn't have as much responsibility as it once did when, when, only the captain and the assistants were allowed to talk to the refs. They had to do all the players' rep meetings. They had to do do all the all the stuff on the plane. Now it's just it's kind of an honorary title, right? I, I mean, think, I think that's what makes it sort of unique to Toronto with sort of the media responsibilities that come along with being the the captain, right? Sort of like the symbolic nature of it. Whereas, like I'm sure Jonathan Taze is quite a leader in Chicago, right? But he also has Seabrook. He also has Keith. He also has, you know, Lad back, right? He, a variety of different players to Hosa. sort of Hosa to like shoulder like the load with him. You don't, um, think, you don't think Patrick Kane shoulders any load? <laughs> no, he's, he's not that type type of player, is he? I don't know if he like. He's more of the prototypical, um, just he's a player, right? Like he he he's their best, most talented offensive player, but he doesn't seem to carry himself that way. Now he might be a leader in the dressing room. We don't really know, but yeah, he might. But in terms of those character players on the ice. Might be a leader at the bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or in the taxi ride home. Um, <laughs> do you think that the Maple Leafs go into next year without a captain again? And they just have a few A's that they pass around to the to the core guys that, that are going forward. Maybe Riley wears one for a bit. Naz, uh, Bozak will definitely wear one probably for the whole year. If he's Hunwick the will team. wear one. You think Hunwick is back on this team? He's under contract. I don't see them moving him. I don't. I don't know. They have way way too many defensemen. Yeah, I know. Um, so yeah. So Bo- Bozak and Hunwick with the A's, and and maybe a, another one running around. Or do they name a captain that is probably at this point an interim, unless they give it to someone like Riley, right? I don't think they. Sign, I don't think they give a captain to anyone on this team right now. Well, at least we only had like what twenty three captains in history. It's not something you just hand out for an interim basis. It's got to be a long-term solution, like a four or five at least years, right? Unless they sign Steven Samkos, which is he, then he would be the captain. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if they did, if they went out, if they went that path, he would be named captain. It'd be part of the deal, and he he would deserve it. Quite frankly, it's, he's a captain already in the Tampa Bay, and 
he would and, just, he would, and, just would be and he'd instantly become the best player on the team which yeah. is right now normally the captain prerequisites yeah i have a lot of hope for this draft especially with the amount of picks that the leafs have to possibly move up a couple times and take another high-end talent in the top 10 is there any one guy that has uh in in doing your prep for the for the mock draft or or looking at the lottery is there any one guy in the first round that you would really try to get to and move Uh, i mean maybe not like the top obviously line a you would but you're probably not going to get to him but somebody around eight to 12 that you could target it'd be really exciting if they could somehow get alex nylander obviously um not so much for like what he would bring to the team but just having two nylanders right you know other teams have been pretty good with two swedish brothers i know they're not twins but you know we can dream um (laughs) another good player that seems to be slightly getting overlooked i wouldn't mind is someone like matthew kachuk just because of um He's not sort of like the same like big build as his, as his dad or anything like that, and, and the comparisons between the two are really just people looking at their names and making assumptions. But having that sort of high-energy like physical player that he sort of plays um, would be a welcome addition to this team, which I feel, at least, I don't know how they'll grow next season, but in a couple games, particularly I remember one game against Buffalo where this Leafs team just looked manhandled. Like they just did not have the physical capability to stand up for themselves. And it looked like they could just get... Like, they were dominating the game. I think they were leading at one point, and then Buffalo just started, you know, beating them up, and they lost. And it was just really... They became intimidated. So having some physical players... Like, talent is great. Talent is good. But as we see with the West Coast teams, or, like, just the Western Conference in general, there's still something to be said for, like, physical hockey in this league. Yeah, Joe Thornton has thrown more body checks this playoffs than I think I've ever seen him in his life. He's, he's running around like Ovi did when he came in. The old man's adapted. Yeah, you seen the beard he grew too. He, like, he just looks, wants. The thing's Brent Burns. The Burns yeah. is rub, the the beard is rubbing off on all of them. It's actually just Brent Burns' beard, <laughs> and it's just growing and attaching other people now. Uh, what a beauty that guy! Um, I hope he wins the Norris this year. Just throwing it out there. Yeah, he's not going to. <laughs> You'll see. He won't. There's no way. Like he's great, but if they're going to go that way, they'll give it to Carlson. <sighs> you know who's not going to get it. Is Drew Doughty because he's not <laughs> he's allowed. Never He'll never get he's one. He's not allowed. He'll never get one. Um, and that's fair. Whatever. <laughs> is there any other player uh, that you think down there, Kyle, that you would that you would target somebody somebody that's jumping up ranks or or falling off the board? I think I, I think you know where I'm going to go with this. I'm, uh, Clayton Keller. He's uh he's listed as a center, but he's a little small too. He's a smaller guy. So he'd adapt to the wing. He's also American, but he could go from eight, from anywhere from eight or seven to fifteen. So if he goes down, slides down to like twelve or thirteen, I think the Leafs it'd be in their best interest to move up and get this guy. He's been an offensive, just he's scoring at a ridiculous rate in the leagues he's playing, and he was the MVP of the under eighteen tournament when they won gold last couple of weeks ago. He's just he is a great player. He's opening everyone's eyes at these tournaments. He's I'm sure at some point in his development history, he has played with or against Matthews yeah, as well. Sure. So he might have some familiar familiarity there. Uh, I think. I mean, I, I could. We could talk about this all day. We. Uh, I can't wait for the lotter or the draft to come around because it'll be fireworks for sure. It feels like Lou is going to pull something out of his hat. It's the only thing I'm kind of worried about is that he's a little off the board, and with the first overall pick, he might do do something crazy like trade it for Ilya Kovalchuk. But 
God. <laughs> Trade for the rights to Radulov. Yeah, exactly. But we will stop there because there is a lot more to talk about in Toronto sports, including the Raptors who are playing the game seven against the Indiana Pacers later tonight in a absolute must win for this group of players and possibly the coach. I don't care what Masai Ujiri says that he'll back him, whatever. If they lose game seven, Dwayne Casey is finding another job. We'll be back. And welcome back to Six Sports Podcast. Joining me again is Kyle Jackson and Andrew Canal. We're all doing this laying down today in honor <laughs> of Patrick Laine's interview live at the draft lottery last night. One of the best things I've ever heard. Obviously, uh, I queued up some Raptors news, but before we get to the Raps, we have to talk a little bit about the Blue Jays. They blew another lead last night. Brett Cecil didn't pitch that poorly, but still somehow didn't get an out. The Tampa Bay Rays took them down 4-3. What is going on in Blue Jay land? Uh, they can't hit. They can't pitch. Sometimes they can't field. <laughs> it's going pretty poorly. Um, there's there's so, like some good things, I guess. Like The starting pitching has been really good still, which, you know, we're what, getting through our fourth time through the rotation now. Um, outside of Dickey, like Hap pitched another great game, like left the game. I think it was 3-3 when he left, or I can't remember if he had the lead or not. But um, either way, like another quality start from him. Sanchez doesn't look like um, he's slowing down whatsoever. Stroman has had his like rough, you know, goes of it. But even when like a rough Stroman outing is a quality start. So um, he's been doing pretty well, too. And, and Estrada, surprisingly, for me, picked up right where he left off last season. Like, he's he's showing that he's not just a, a one-hit wonder, as we saw last year, right? Um, but the hitting is just strikeouts, 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 strikeouts. Like, I, I know people, like, kept saying it's early, it's early, it's early. They'll get it. But it's been a month now. It's been a month they have over 200 strikeouts already. Yeah, this is supposed to be the best hitting team in the majors, and I'm sure that their potential is the best hitting team in the majors, but what's on paper doesn't really matter if it doesn't translate to the box score. Um, and I don't even want to talk about the bullpen right now, so <laughs> someone else can talk about that. <laughs> yeah, they still have four regulars hitting under 200. Only had three hits last night against the Rays. And that's something that through you know, two weeks, you just go, oh, it's just a bad run. Because lots of guys go two weeks batting under 200. Um, you don't go a month, though. Something's like, wrong with Russell Martin, guys. Like, some of these quality players. Like, Tulowitzki actually had, like, I think a little bit he's starting to come around. Like, I think he had a slow start, and then he's a little bit snake-bitten. Like, there were two hits last night where he was, like, just off of home runs twice like he was not missing at all and his defense is still there so Tulowitzki is actually like the least of my concerns with this team and I know that's like everyone's been saying that but the way that he's contributing defensively and 
the way that his bat seems to be slowly coming around, at least in terms of his approach to the plate, like watching it. Like, obviously, if you just look at the stats, it doesn't look like it's coming around. But if you actually watch the games, he looks a lot more comfortable than he did at the beginning of the year, whereas Martin doesn't. Um, the bo- make contact the bottom the of the order still looks like a black hole, whereas last season they were, I guess they were just playing above their weight, right? So it would be unreasonable for us to expect that. But ultimately, for this team to be a success, you can't just have four guys go up and hopefully hit a home run and then the other five all strike out. So it's it's not a recipe for success the way that they're playing baseball right now. Yeah, the bottom of the order has been awful. As you say, Martin is absolutely lost at the plate. Josh Tolley looks like a better hitter than him at the moment. Ryan Goins is, has turned back into Ryan Goins. The pumpkin has... Or the carriage has turned back into the pumpkin. Troy Tulowitzki is... I, I agree with you. He, he does look sharper than his box score is saying. The one guy that nobody's really talking about and I think deserves at least some attention is Edwin Encarnacion. He is not by any means the slugger he was last year at this point. He only has three home runs, which shouldn't be too bad. He's got a few other extra base hits, but he's hitting two fifty. His isolated slugging is down to 143 from the 200-plus that he's always put up. He's OPSing under 700, and he's still hitting fourth in this lineup. Now, obviously, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Edwin. I think he'll turn it around. But sluggers over 30 don't tend to last all that long. Now, they're in a contract negotiation with this guy right now. Should they be? It's hard to say not to sign Edwin because he's been so fun to watch over the last couple of years. But if he if he doesn't figure it out a little bit, but he's done this before. He's had a bad month to start the season before, and then didn't he hit twelve home runs two years ago in May after a slow start, and then shut up everyone. He did. So that that could obviously happen again, which would be amazing. But either way, I don't know if it's the right move to bring him back next season, no matter what. Because maybe with if they sign if they do choose to sign Batista as well, Batista might be better suited in the first base DH role, so you open up a spot for Dalton Hopay in the field, and get at bats in the major leagues because the speed threat alone is amazing. Cause he's not going to replace Michael Saunders anytime. That guy looks like a legit hitter, and he he's might be one of the, the maybe the second best hitter on the team this year so far. Yeah, so much for the leadoff issue. Michael yeah. Saunders has moved to that spot quite well. Um, not only getting on base at a crazy clip, he's also bombing home runs, including two more against Drew Smiley yesterday or two days ago. Can he hit against Drew Smiley every day? Or? Yeah, he's got three home runs against the lefty, who's supposed to be one of the best or better starting pitchers in the AL this year. Um, Michael Saunders still looked locked in against him. But so Edwin, I, 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 I get that he had a bad month and he turned it around in May and he might shut me up today by hitting three bombs he's got that kind of talent but he's striking out more he's walking less he doesn't have the power he did should the blue jays and this this sounds i'm i'm i usually am the last person to overreact but should they be looking at possibly moving edwin this year they should look into moving Anyone almost, because especially if they can solidify their bullpen. If you can get a big bullpen arm with the with losing Edwin, there's enough slow. There should be enough hitting on the team to cover that. I know I say that it, with how poor the hitting's been so far, but 
he is the one guy who might be expendable because he is the DH and he barely plays in the field. Anyone can DH, right? So it might be best case long term for the Jays and best case for this season if they are able to acquire a, a solid bullpen arm, maybe multiple. Yeah, I would say that you'd need to get more than just a bull, one bullpen yeah. arm for him because I, I think right now Edwin would still bring back a big package because he's one of the elite sluggers in the game. Three months from now, if he doesn't turn it around, he won't. With the Blue Jays just looking lost, I, I don't I don't think it is too early to start looking at changes. Maybe not trading one of your biggest names, but something's got to change on this team. As you say, Drew, it's not just the first week. It's a month of this now. It's a month of 11 and 14 baseball while looking like a 3 and 20 team. Yeah, if not for their starting rotation and and Josh Donaldson, really. <laughs> um and obviously like Bautista is still getting like like he's only batting 250, but he's his walking is like his OBP is still huge. Um but really, offensively, outside of those two, and then the emergence of Michael Saunders when he got inserted to the to the top of the order, this team could be in a lot of trouble um, in terms of trying to catch up. Like they're still in the thick of it in the AL East because it is so tightly contested, and like I guess they face tough pitching. But this is the thing. Like I think one of the I can't remember which radio show I was listening to earlier this week talking about you know how difficult it is against Chris Sale, and then Jose Quintana is pretty good too, and all this other stuff when they got swept by the White Sox, just. And I'm going to sort of like say the same thing probably when we talk about the Raptors later. It's just like, yeah, so the other team steps up and plays well. But you know what good teams do? They step up and play better. So it doesn't matter how good the opposing pitcher is. If you're the best hitting team in the league, you should be able to hit them. Um, or at least put up a fight. Like, there's so many games where the Jays don't even put pressure on the opposing pitcher. Like, three hits last night. Three hits from this team is just, like... If they score, if I'm not expecting them to score five, six plus runs every game, like they're going to get shut out sometimes. And that's just what happens. Although last season they got shut out, like they didn't get shut out until how long into the season? It was ridiculous. Yeah, it was. They were the last team in the majors to get shut out last um, year. All right, so only scoring one run because double plays happen. You know, pitchers like strike out. You know, pop ups, everything else, right? But at least put the ball in play and get some like base runners on base, like base runner. That's redundant. Hitters on base. <laughs> get some base runners out there. And just see what happens because just three hits, you're not going to win. The fact that they scored three runs on three hits shows you the like the the burst power of this lineup. Yeah, they 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 drew a couple walks against Chris Archer, and he's great, but he only pitched six innings. When you get into the bullpen in the seventh inning, you got to do some more damage. And, and uh, to your point, that yeah, that they face some tough pitchers, but you know what's going to keep happening? They're going to keep facing tough pitchers because every team in the majors has tough pitchers at the top of their lineup. Next week when the Dodgers come in, they're going to face Maida, Kershaw, and whoever starts the third game. It's going to be tough. They, they miss Cole Hamels in this uh, series against Texas, but they still face Derek Holland. They still face Martin Perez. It's It doesn't end. It, it's There's always a lot of good pitchers be. out there today. Yeah. There's it, a lot of good pitchers. It's just like people coming in and playing the Blue Jays. If if you get Sanchez, Stroman, Hap, those are three hard pitchers. You gotta you gotta do something against one of them. Yeah, and the other thing is, like they're doing well in getting like not too many starters get very far in the game because the Jays are so patient at the plate, and and some have begun to argue that they're almost too patient, looking for the perfect pitch instead of just swinging and putting the ball in play. 
which there might be some argument. I haven't looked at like, you know, the advanced stats or everything right that, but um, so there might be something to that, but they're getting the starters out and then they look worse against the bullpen. Like they, they come in against the bullpen and I can't count how many games where they scored, you know, three, four, five runs early, knock the starter out and then don't get a hit. Like their other teams' bullpens are pitching like mini perfect games against the Blue Jays, and if you're winning, one that puts undue stress on your bullpen, um, which could talk, like lead into some of the problems that this bullpen's having, just not dealing with the pressure because their offense they like they can see like they're pitchers, but they're not they're still baseball players. They can see like my offense isn't going to help me. I need to lock it down. So everyone is in a closer situation almost, right? Um, and it seems like Osuna is the only one with the nerves to deal with that. Yeah, yeah, the other back end guys have not like I feel for Brett Cecil. The guy is has been a lockdown reliever for three straight years now. Is heading into a contract and go like he's a free agent as well at the end of the season, and he's quickly pitching himself out of a back end rotation sp- or bullpen spot. He, he he's going to be a situational lefty by the end of this if if he keeps pitching like this. Drew Storen again isn't the guy that everybody thought. But I think people are are looking back a little too fondly on Ben Revere. I mean, the guy did only get cost us two prospects you've never heard of. It's it's not like he was a, an integral piece of this lineup last year. But people keep saying like this is the same team except for Ben Revere. Ben Revere was only here for a couple months as well, and Michael Saunders is the one in the lineup replacing him. Like where else would Ben Revere be right now? And Michael Saunders isn't the problem. So. Yeah, I mean, maybe he could be playing center instead of Pilar, but yeah, well, nobody's gonna play it instead of Pilar. I just, I, I, I'm not sure that this was ever going to be a bullpen that was one of the best in baseball. When you're giving the ball to Jesse Chavez first out of the pen, and Gavin Floyd's coming in with down a run in the eighth inning over and over again, but do they need a shakeup? Do they need to change roles? How how do they make this work? Cecil's 0-5 already. They need Aaron Loop to be healthy, for one. That's a big addition. It's another lefty. He's, he's a very good left-handed. He's a very effective left-handed reliever. But Brett Cecil, I, I love Brett Cecil. He's one of my favorite relievers. I, I think he's going to figure it out still. He, he's pitching a lot better. Like We watched, we rewatched the ninth inning last, uh, last night, and he was making all of his pitches. And none, there was only one mistake and didn't even hurt him. It was just... Just one of those things that run score sometimes. It's not always the pitcher's fault. He pitched fine. He hit his most of his, uh, he, I think he'll be fine. I think he'll figure it out. But Drew Storen just gets smoked every time he's out there. He's allowing a home run like every time he pitches. He reminds me of Brian Tallett. I remember every time Tallett came in the game, I, I, I turned off the TV. It was over. Why watch? Yeah, Vinny Chalk was that guy for me. Um, And, and God, I hope Storen doesn't turn into one of those two. <laughs> And I don't think he will. He, again, he's been a really good reliever for for a long time. It's just relief pitching is so volatile. Look at Dalbar, right? Yeah, yeah. All the guy is nothing. good, awful, good, all-star, awful <laughs> in, like, consecutive seasons. It's it, it, it's it's kind of unbelievable. Um, On the good note, though, you say... Uh, we're just going to take a short break. No, we're not. It, it's back. <laughs> Everything broke for a second, but it, it's back. Um, you say Aaron Loop is going to come back and help this bullpen. There's another guy 
who's on the road back, Devin Travis, who is guy. going to be a huge, a huge boost to this team when he comes back. He's supposed to come back mid or late May, early June. He's heading off for a rehab assignment soon. What kind of impact can Devin Travis make on this team? Well, given the drop off with Goins, Goins can then become our utility infielder, which you know, or gets into the minors. Like Barney yeah. plays great. Uh, yeah, Barney is really good as well. Um, yeah, at, at least there's I think some, Barney should be starting over Goins already. But well, there's some at least some options there. But Devin Travis, obviously, if if his bat is even like almost as good as it was last year in the brief time that we saw him, would massively help out this lineup. Um, he was saying three oh two. Yeah. He was batting really, really well and had some opposite field power. Like, And he's not Ryan Gones defensively, but he's no slouch, and I'm sure working with Tulowitzki, we will see Devin Travis improve and, and become a very solid middle infielder anyway. Um, it, it could be... like It's so hard to say, though. Like we, It's been so long since we've seen him, and he was a rookie last year, right? Like That was his first taste of the major, so it's really hard to say what we'll see from him, but we can hope given how bleak it's been so far this season, that Devin Travis will be sort of the, you know, the acquisition. Like, it's almost like receiving a new player, right? Um, and for players like Tulowitzki, it is like receiving a new player because they've never played together. So um, it'll be really exciting, and hopefully, you know, it'll it'll jumpstart the lineup a little bit. And I think, like, with the talent that this lineup has, it, they just really need something to sort of just shake up what's going on. And I think that's why Gibby keeps moving them around in the lineup. Um, at least the bottom half, he seems to be set in his ways with the top five, which I guess understandably, you know, two through five, like they're all all-star, borderline all-star players who should be doing that every season, right? So you just sort of let them figure it out. Whereas the bottom of the order, you sort of, you know, tinker with it depending on the matchup, depending on who's hitting where and who's hitting hot. So um, where do you think Travis will actually slot in though? If, if Saunders keeps hitting like this, or do you think like, Travis will lead off against lefties, and they'll sort of like switch out. Or that was that was going to be my next question. Do you think he regains his hold on the leadoff spot? Um, I don't know if you can take Saunders out of that spot at the moment. Maybe Travis, when he first comes back, hits six or seven after Tulo, or probably probably six. Probably he probably hit after Tulo because Martin's hitting eight today, which is probably doesn't feel good to be Russell Martin right now. But it's where he deserves to be hitting. But I think Travis would come back and at least start as the six hitter to see if he is the same player or if he can be a fraction of that. Yeah, I'd like to see him slotted in um, six or even five ahead of Tulo. Um, obviously, I, I think Tulo will come back at least and, and maybe not be the 320 hitter that he was at one point in his career, but be a solid offensive force. But as you say, Drew, even if he... If he hits 80% of what he did last year in his in his 200 at-bats or whatever, he's he's an all-star. If he hits the same way, he's an MVP-type guy, Devin Travis. Like, yeah. like, he was absolutely mashing between his between his first – the first time he went down for injury and when he got shut down for the season, he hit 357, 402, 488 in, in that 100 plate appearances including a home run in the game that he was taken out of to be shut down for the rest of the year. It obviously didn't affect his hitting that much, just that he was living with pain constantly. I hope, for his sake and for the Blue Jays' sake, that he that he's pain-free, comes back, and just eats up this lineup and eats up the American League East. 
We can hope. <laughs> but on that, we'll go to a short break and then get to the team that is getting eaten up in this playoff series against the Pacers. They're still alive. The Toronto Raptors needed a miracle comeback in Game 5 and were shown how to play basketball, playoff basketball in Game 6. We'll be back. Welcome back to the final segment of the Six Sports Podcast. Again, joining me, Andrew Canal, Cal Jackson, authors at Six Sports. We've talked a little bit of Blue Jays and how they're not off to a start, a good start. We talked a little bit about a little bit about the Leafs and the gold card that turned over last night. But now we have to talk about the team that it seemed the entire city was rallying behind. But now it seems like the entire city is crossing their fingers. The Toronto Raptors go into Game 7 tonight against the Indiana Pacers and Paul George. Or should I say Paul George and the Indiana Pacers. Are they going to win? Nope. (laughs) Uh, I want to say yeah, but just the way they've been playing, they probably don't deserve to win. And because it wasn't even all Paul George last game, it's they they were they were they were limiting George, and everyone else was beating them. And if Demar and Kyle play the exact same way, like Kyle was distributing the ball well, but if Demar comes out and gets eight points again, the team has no chance. It doesn't matter what everyone else does, because he's going to take what twenty shots. If he only gets eight points, you're going to lose the game. Yeah, and like, and the defense is sort of. Last game, the entire Pacers starting lineup had 12 points or more. Like, all five of them scored in double digits. And and needless to say, the same was not true of the Raptors. Um, it, it's as much as the NBA is a star-driven league, and it is, when it comes to, like, your one star, like, the, the Raptors have two all-stars. Indiana has one. Is their star literally twice as good as ours? Is that is that what it's come down? Is Paul George that good? Maybe and, so, in, and some maybe nights, in the playoffs. and some nights he is that good. Um, but more often than not, the games where Paul George has actually taken over and dominated, outside of like game one where I think he put up over thirty points, I can't remember 33. now. Yeah, thirty three. Um, but outside of that, the better George has played, the Raps tend to win actually because they become over reliant on George because they shut down everyone else. It's when they allow George to still get you know. 20 plus point. I don't think he scored below 20 this entire series, but like 20 plus, and then the rest of the team sort of fills it in. That's when the Raptors lose. And for a team where going into it, everyone was just like, "Yeah, the Pacers have George, but the Raptors have depth." Well, guess what? The the Pacers' depth is outperforming the Raptors right now too. It's it's not just about Paul George, and people can't be making that excuse. Yeah, it's as you say, the Raptors' starters were not above 12 points. Patrick Patterson had five in another minus eight night for him. He he doesn't look right in that role, does he? He doesn't want to start. He doesn't. That's why he that's why he's always in school all year. He's he likes coming off the bench. He just feels better as a player off the bench. So maybe we'll see Skull get start today. Maybe we'll see someone else start. I don't know. 
Maybe throw James Johnson in there just for fun. Start him off. What, what, honestly, what could have hurt at this point? Well, I mean, they could be eliminated from yeah, the playoffs. But and then they'll all get traded and lose their jobs. <laughs> um, just just to go back for just a second, in Game 6, the Lowry-DeRozan line combined was 18 points, 8 rebounds, 11 assists. Paul George was 21 points, 11 rebounds, and 6 assists. So good job they can distribute the ball, apparently, a little bit better than Paul George combined. Lowry had 8 assists in the first, like, 18 minutes of that game. But so DeRozan and Lowry went 7 for 27. Yeah, you're not going to win shooting that. You just can't. It, uh, including 1 for 7 from Kyle Lowry from 3. What happened to his 3-point shot? The guy hit like the third most 3-pointers in the league this year. Fifth most, I think. What happened? What What is going on? Is he hurt? Well, his elbow's he, I think he's in his head though now. I think he's just battling himself because he's the first one showing up every day to warm-ups now to shoot around. He's shooting so many shots, and then as soon as it comes crunch time, it looks like he just flips, he flips the switch and he can't hit them anymore. It doesn't matter how open he is. All season we saw him just run up the court and jack threes up immediately, and that was game momentum-changing shots. And he's been trying to do that. He's trying to take over the game, but he's just not sinking anything. I think it's a combination of a lot of things at this point. Like, Obviously, Kyle Lowry's elbow has been a problem that we talked about even prior to the playoffs and how it would shake down because the Raptors did start to tail off not the same way they did last season but there was a little bit of a decline and he's just and and then I think it is compounded with this is the third year right the third year that like that they've struggled in the playoffs and I know they did have a 2-1 series lead and they looked really good in game three and um all of that but still individually speaking as the leaders on this team Lowry and DeRozan again are underperforming and health aside and everything else, it's got to be getting in their head at this point. And if they do lose this, they're not going to resign to Rosen. Like, you can't. Um, and there's a large, large chance that they would look to trade Kyle Lowry, I think. Yeah, and push the reset button. And, and, and it doesn't even have to be a hard reset with sort of like, because you still have Jonas Valanciunas, you still have Damari Carroll. You would free up a lot of space to sort of like fill that in. Um, Norman Powell has looked phenomenal as someone like sort of rising and, you know, and you can find players in the, in the draft every, maybe they know. try to move up to draft for Jamal Murray or something. Yeah. And they do have a fairly picks. high, high pick this year, right? Through either the nuggets or the yeah. Knicks. Right. So all this, it's not like a hard reset that we have to go through something like with the Leafs, but you know, making the playoffs and setting regular season records is nice, but getting like bowing out in the first round of the playoffs every year isn't fun either. It's better than being the 76ers, but it's still not fun. At some point, you have to be like, we need to take a step forward and reevaluate what we're doing. Especially when you see the Pacers go to the next round and get knocked out in four. Because um, then it's clear that you're not ready. Because yeah. they, they, like, they're going to be facing Miami or Charlotte. If they face Miami, I wouldn't be surprised to get swept. Charlotte, it might be a little more you know, back and forth, maybe. But Charlotte, like, just because Charlotte's a young team, they might not be experienced enough to do that, but... The way these two teams are playing, like it's it's been a pretty ugly series. It's not so much that everyone's talking that the Pacers have really upped their game and everything else, and I, it's just been a really sloppy series. Like the Pacers have played with a lot of grit. Their defensive game has been good, and this is sort of the thing that I sort of mentioned when I was talking about the Blue Jays is it's playoff basketball, and you know people say, oh, give the Pacers some credit, they've stepped up their game. It's playoff basketball. The Raptors need to step up their game. So like you have two teams where the Raptors are that much better. They need to play that much harder and step up their game that much more. Like, they have to go step for step with the opposition. 
And I know when I wrote my playoff preview of this, I said Raptors in six just because of, you know, nerves and not winning a first round. And Paul George will probably steal one, maybe two games. But realistically, if you, ta- if you take out the factor of this is the third year they've been a disappointment and expecting Kyle Lowry and DeRozan to actually be the players that they you know, expect to be and expect to be paid like, they should have swept this team. Like It should have been 4 nothing, just like Cleveland because they were right with Cleveland to win the conference. What if they did win the conference and had to play Detroit, who played really well against them? Yeah. And you're going to see like this would be the Eastern Conference champion getting beaten in like six games to Detroit. Because yeah, I think Detroit a, was a tougher team than Indiana, for yeah. the Raptors anyway. Yeah, this is a this is a two seed. This is a two seed that should already be out of this series. Because in Game Five, it took the one of the greatest quarters in in basketball history, and that's not because the Raptors all of a sudden played the best basketball in in history. It's because Paul George started the quarter on the bench and Montellus and Churchill <laughs> and their starting lineup basically. Yeah. It was and the Raptors' best players against a bench that they've dominated throughout the series. It was a coaching error, and then by that time, the momentum had swung so much at the ACC that it didn't matter, right? Yep. And, and, don't and get the me Pacers wrong, put up like historically bad shooting in that yeah. quarter. Great defense as well. Yeah, yeah, don't get me wrong. Those guys played their hearts out. It was great, but they, they should have lost that game. It, it, you can't win one out of four quarters and expect to win four out of seven. And it was literally a tenth of a second from going to overtime. Yeah, if Solomon Hill releases it a tenth of a second earlier, it's it's going to overtime where Paul George is going to see the court the entire time. Yeah, I think they lose that game if it goes to overtime for sure. Just and that shot at the end would have changed the momentum drastically. And even if they don't, if if you're going to award quarters to the teams, Indiana's way up in this series. I think the last three games, the Raptors have won four of twelve quarters. Yeah. And and those wins are like by two, three points where the Pacers are winning quarters by 15. Yeah, it's, it seems like they're up by the end of the first half by 13, 17 each time. Yeah. It, the, the, I get it that it's 3-3. If they win tonight, the Raptors, every everything will be forgotten and they're moving on. It's a fresh slate. But this has not been a good series for them. They have not looked sharp. They have not looked like the team we watched win 50-plus games this year and get the two-seed. Imagine if they were in the Western Conference. They'd be out in four already. Yeah. The way they've played. Without a doubt. It's 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 really ugly. And something I meant a great coach. But and I, I know Masai Jiri has put a lot of faith in him. He said publicly that he won't fire him even if they get knocked out. Should he though? Should he be fired? Should he? They move on if they get knocked out. Yeah, they they really should because coaching in the playoffs is all about adjusting your game plans. And it looks like he's just throwing out the same game plan every single game, every single quarter, no matter what's happening in the game, and that's costing them wins. Indiana's adjusting. We were up what like eighteen at one point last game, and then Indiana made some adjustments, and they took over the game. And Casey didn't adjust back. He didn't. He's left it the same and thought they'd figure it out, but it just. It didn't work. I do feel for him a little bit just because basketball, more than any other sport, you go, out, well, I got my superstar. I can rely on this, and then I make adjustments around that. And when you're two sort of, you know, things you don't have to worry about for your 82-game season all of a sudden are the biggest problems on the court, you have issues. So I do feel for him in that respect because for the most part defensively, he's been pretty good in sort of like doing rotations that way. It's just sort of on the other end of the court, like trying to 
fix their offense. He's had a lot of problems, but I don't know what you're really going to do there. The other thing, though, I would say that is, in my opinion, I have a problem with Casey is that we know DeRozan's struggling. We know Lowry's struggling. And I think it was the last, I know it's like just a meaningless play or whatever, but the end of the second half in game six, they have a last shot, I think like 16 seconds left and they run, they don't run a play. It's just DeRozan versus Paul George ISO. Just like, you're really going to run, like you're leading by four, whatever, but isn't leading by six better or leading by seven or whatever. But like, Paul George has dominated DeRozan. DeRozan has proven that he can't score, aside from that one game where he went toe-to-toe with George and George outplayed him even then. So how can you just put him and be like, yeah, go go up against their best player, who is also a really good defender, by the way. And DeRozan just, you know what he did? Paul George just stood up to him and DeRozan lost the ball. Like he didn't even get a shot away. Like, yeah, he, he <laughs> often doesn't. And when it, he does, they're bad shots. Yeah, they're the low percentage twos that that every stat head as basketball gets more into the analytics community will tell you are the worst shots to shoot the twenty footers or the guy in your face. And I know like a lot of adjustments are are easy for us to say like sitting on the couch of the day after, but I think a really easy adjustment is to say I'm not running an ISO play with my biggest like my my shooter who's shooting like twenty percent against their defender who has dominated him all series yeah he, that that is something all, that i think everyone could do and he's an all, known all as one of the best defenders in the nba yeah, he's yeah. an all it's nba not, defender so it's not like after the fact be like oh he should have ran this he should have like ran this pick or like this complex play it's just like just don't run that yeah, of all else. the things like an iso play with demar DeRozan, who had like he scored eight points that game yeah it was I, scored I by i don't know by t ross in 12 minutes he had nine so one good thing, <laughs> as that was a lot of bad, is the play of Corey Joseph. It's been actually really, really, uh, I don't know, good. Uh, That's I'll what you get when you bring in a spur. <laughs> Pop has trained him for the playoffs. And I like wild speculation. So I'm thinking about next year's lineup already mm. and whether Corey Joseph has played his way into the, a starting five role, even if Kyle Lowry is still on this team. Do you like, start you that like, small lineup with Lowry with at Lowry the two? Playing the two? Especially if you let DeRozan walk? Yeah. That would be something interesting to talk about. I just, I'm not sure if Corey Joseph is the dynamic point guard and up with the way the NBA is right now. Like, you look at the best teams, like, and their point guards are unbelievable athletes. And Corey Joseph is tenacious. He's a good defender. But he's not the guy who's going to go up and, and score like 20, 30 points if you need it like once in a while. I'm not saying every point guard does that, but a lot of the NBA's best teams, their point guards have that potential to sort of like step it up. And I'm not just talking about Steph Curry, but I'm talking about players like John Wall, Chris Paul, Damian Lillard, guys like that, right? Like they can really take it to that next I mean, level. Kemba Walker had a good year. And and a few weeks ago, a few yeah. weeks ago, you would have included the Raptors in that with Kyle yeah, Lowry. Exactly, but that needs to happen in the playoffs, right? <laughs> And but I just don't know if Corey Joseph can necessarily do that. I like what they do in terms of a small lineup if... Like, I really like their lineup when they run uh, Joseph, Lowry, and then, like, Carroll's basically playing the four, right? Yeah. Like, it, it, it seems to work really well, and I like that a lot. With either just, Powell or T-Ross on the floor mm-hmm. as well. And, and they and just he, run, like, Joseph, Powell, T-Ross, Carroll, and just I don't, I don't even care anymore. Just see yes. what happens. I that's what I mean. You... you <laughs> you look at like the team that's beating them, 
And Monte Ellis isn't the point guard on this team. George Hill comes in, gives you solid minutes, defensive, puts up a couple points, distributes the ball. He's also been shooting unreal this series. He has. Yeah. Because he's been getting open looks. Yeah. But, he, but also, <laughs> like, it's a short playoff series, right? Like, he's been super hot, and, like, that happens. But at the same time, like, three years in a row, man. Three years in a row, something's got to give, right? Like, you can't just say, oh, the other team just, we just met a hot team at the wrong time. Just like, and you also sucked at the wrong time. Yeah, they're, they're the seven seed. They're, they're not supposed to be anywhere close. They won 10 less games than you this season, and you rested your guys down the stretch. It, it's. Norman Powell beat this team on his own at the end of the year. With that, yeah, with, with Kyle. With DeLon and, Wright. Yeah, with DeLon Wright. With, with Rosen and Lowry both sitting. They manhandled the in Pacers. Then the Pacers were playing everyone. They had something to play for at the time. They were still fighting for a playoff spot. Like it doesn't. That's why this is so much more frustrating. We gotta. Uh, if we're gonna mention Norm Powell, we just gotta mention how bad he looked in Game Six. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's a rookie, and there shouldn't be that much pressure on him. But he he went zero for four from three. He doesn't look like he should be uh, a first option three point shooter. He he looks better than DeRozan, but maybe not much. And in he, he was a minus eighteen and only had two points off the bench in nineteen minutes. Yeah, minus eighteen. <laughs> Jesus. A little statistical fun part though is that Jason Thompson and DeLon Wright in only three minutes and twenty seven seconds are a plus eight. Both of them. Stardom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Thompson, you're starting forward. I know there was some talk about like not like by any real. Um, consideration for it, but just when the the Louis Scola experiment ended, to keep Patterson with that uh, bench rotation because he seems to have chemistry with them, to start Jason Thompson briefly, just give him like a short set to start the game. Why not? Just to give I don't the Pacers a different look. I don't hate it. I'm, I'm serious. I, I well, when we've seen Jason Thompson, he's always looked good on the floor. It's just you had Louis Scola, who was able to hit like hits a lot of threes. He hasn't been able to hit him in the playoffs though, and they've been able to exploit his his athleticism or lack thereof in this series, right? So why don't you throw... It's not like Jason Thompson has looked poorer. It's just you've had better options all season. Right now right. you don't. And he, he doesn't really give you any sort of an offensive uh, threat. You shouldn't really need it, though. But but he is a great team defender, and, and maybe he can help out coming across on Paul George. But, uh, I mean, trying a Jason Thompson experiment in Game 7 of the first round of the playoffs might not be the best. That's, that's how you get fired. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're well, right. Well, if you get fired anyways. Yeah. Go in a blaze of Jason Thompson-y glory. <laughs> Would you guys start Patrick Patterson tonight? No. Not you, at all. He looks, the, he looks better off the in? bench. and Might as well. Like, but Skola only ends up playing like, what, 10 minutes at the end, no matter oh, yeah, what? Not, not that much. So if he comes in and starts, what's the big deal? What if he hits a couple of threes in the early going to alleviate some of the pressure off everyone else, and then Patterson comes in, and he's more comfortable in the role that he wants to play? I think Skola offers you a little more potential. Like coming, like at starting the game, like that's how you sure, got there. Sure, he hasn't done very well, but teams still leave him open for that three. And if he does start knocking those down, like we saw that one game this season where like teams just still left him alone. He had like 15 points in the first quarter, something ridiculous like that. Like, why not? And it's worked. It's not like it's something completely on like out of the ordinary. He started most of the games this series. Like, just go I back think he's to played the second most playoff games on the Raptors as well, right? Yeah. Maybe him and Carroll are close, but yeah. it doesn't hurt. No, I, I. You gotta pull it all out. Game seven. Game seven. Everybody's coming off the bench. Yeah. Clearing everyone, the bench. Everyone. James, Bruno. Johnson, James Johnson's <laughs> gonna get some time. I I can't wait to watch. I I mean, it's gonna be interesting either way. 
and it's going to give us a lot to talk about next week either way um but everything else that we would say is just speculation at this point we're, we're not in casey's head we don't know what he's going to do and we don't know how they're going to perform they've looked great in a couple games this series on home court perhaps drake will stick out his foot again and and trip a couple guys that play the other day when uh, Solomon Hill just fell into Drake's lap was hilarious. Yeah. But so let's just uh, end it there with some some good luck to the Raptors. We'll do final thoughts if you guys have any. Kyle, do you have something for me? I just want to take a minute to shout out the, the Toronto Marlies who swept the Bridgeport Tiger, Sound Tigers in three games with a great three-goal comeback. It was nice to be on the winning side of a three-goal comeback in the playoffs. Screw you, Boston. Just throwing that out there. But now they, the Marlies go on to face the Albany Devils, who are arguably the second best team in the division. This is the everyone thought this was going to be the the conference final, so it's going to be the Marlies' biggest challenge. I, I, it should be no problem. They should come out, but just good luck to the boys. They start Wednesday. Um, it's May first, and I'm happier about the recent news with the Maple Leafs than I am with any other Toronto sports team, not counting the Marlies. I'm depressed. <laughs> the Jays have looked terrible, and they should not They should be worse than 11-14 and 14 probably, given their hitting. And the Raptors are possibly going to bow out of the first round again. But the Leafs are getting Austin Matthews, so I, I don't know what I'm going to do. That's why, that's, that's why I drink. This is why I drink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a, yeah, I wish, wish we could end the show on that, but I'll give you some final thoughts as well. Like Kyle, like Andrew, uh, we're more excited about the hockey that's being played at right now instead of the baseball and basketball, which is pretty unbelievable if you had told me that a week ago or two weeks ago. But I got to give a shout out to the London Knights where I used to live and where the top prospect for the Maple Leafs for at least another couple months is playing London destroyed Erie, knocking them out, and will now face Niagara in the next round. They start on Thursday, and Mitch Marner is going to set a million records of playoff points. He's got he's playing, proving that he's not an OHL player anymore. He's much much higher. This has been Six Sports Podcast. Check us out weekly. Check us out at sixsports.com. We've got lots of articles going up tonight. We had a freak out last night. Check out the video on YouTube. Follow us at six underscore sports on Twitter, Instagram. I'm going to keep saying Pinterest until you create one, Kyle. And listen next There technically week. is one. There is a Pinterest account. Snapchat. We don't have a Snapchat. 100%. We do have a Pinterest. Oh, it's there. Okay, so You can sign in. <laughs> uh disregard what i said do not follow us on twitter instagram or snapchat <laughs> i'd like all of you to go to pinterest right now and <laughs> click i don't know i've never been to pinterest <laughs> pin something i think is how it works so pin us your favorite <laughs> uh cooking recipe and i think that's what pinterest is just it's all <laughs> cooking recipes and we'll bake it on the show <laughs> live <laughs> thanks everybody tune in next week <laughs>